You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny. I'm a Lutheran pastor, and I like to play a lot of video games. And I'm Josh, and I'm an audio guy, and let's get ready to... Wait, we might get in trouble for that. Oh, yeah. We're going to stop it right there. Copyright. This week on the podcast, we are talking about the ultimate wrestling match, Jacob versus God. So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. Josh, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's, it's a Monday when we were recording this, so, you know, it's been a, it's been a day. It is, it is not the weekend yet. No, that is my usual fun thing to do with Jenny on Mondays, is if I ask her if it's the weekend yet, which is kind of ironic, because she has to work on the weekends. And I have Mondays off, so it actually is my weekend. So Jenny, what 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 are you what are we drinking today? Uh, I am drinking a Hoppy Poppy IPA. I know I've mentioned it before. It is one of my favorites. How about you? I am drinking a Buzzballs cocktail, um, a Strawberry Rita, and I also have one because they're not huge. This one's a Chuck Tease. I don't know what that means. It just sounds naughty. It is premium vodka, orange wine, and cream with natural flavors. That sounds horrible. It's delicious. Okay. Got more power to you. And they are, I don't know. What are they? They're 15%. So. Oh, so this is going to be a fun one is what you're telling me. I'm hoping for it. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, as we already kind of hinted at in the intro, uh, today it's the ultimate cage match, showdown, wrestling match, Jacob wrestling with God or an angel or a person. We'll talk about it. And I said this to you when we were talking about this idea that I'm really pissed that Jacob's Ladder doesn't happen with the wrestling match because it would have been a great segue for this Sunday. We have Jacob versus God in a ladder match. Uh, yeah, I I wish for you that that were the case, but no, Jacob's Ladder is a different story. Same Jacob, but yeah. We'll talk about for it. For wrestling notes, for those of you who don't know what a ladder match is, it's where like a belt or a contract or something is hoisted up 16, 15 feet in the air, and then the wrestlers have to like climb a ladder to get up to it, and they're pretty brutal. Like, there's no way you can fake getting hit with a ladder at some of those. Are you, Josh, have you ever been like a pro wrestling fan? Oh, yeah. Growing up, loved it. Staying up late on Monday nights watching it, especially for nerd cred no i was a fan during the monday night wars when it was the wcw versus wwf now wwe and it was just man it was a <laughs> awesome time i have to admit i have never really watched a lot of wrestling so what i know about pro wrestling is like the whole kayfabe of like the sort of narrative that is constructed around these characters and then also vince mcmahon is a terrible person that's what i know Yes, that is, in fact, a truthity, and I hope justice is served correctly and everything is brought, not just opinions. If, if there's evidence, let's bring it out and let's just let's get that over with, because, yeah, that is a horrible situation. And if you don't know, don't even look into it. It's it's 
it's disgusting. Yeah, and uh, and if you want to know because you like, I don't know, torturing yourself with bad news, uh, there there is another podcast with a much larger audience than this one called Behind the Bastards, and I think they did six episodes just on Vince McMahon, and that was before the like current stuff came out. So if you want a deep dive on how terrible he is as a person, allegedly, I guess just cover ourselves there legally. I don't think that Vince McMahon is going to do like a takedown, uh, a legal action against our podcast, but you never know. Right. We haven't said anything that hasn't been said allegedly. Yeah, we've we've prefaced it with that. So if my uh, remembering of com law takes place, um, which I did not do well in that class because it was pretty tedious and I don't have the attention span and yeah, but I think we should be safe. And and I will just say, as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, God knows the truth. God knows, Vince McMahon, what you have done or not done. Wow. Anyway, let's talk about Genesis. Let's talk about Jacob. Yeah, so what a weird story. I Jacob is one of my favorite characters. He's definitely my favorite character in the book of Genesis. Jacob is such a jerk. He is, he's a hot mess. Um, And his whole saga, which takes up a big chunk of the book of Genesis, is truly delightful. Um, So we are mostly going to talk about uh, Jacob wrestling with God, uh, which is in uh, Genesis 32. But we've got to talk about his story more broadly. We kind of have to get the lead up before we get uh, to the wrestling match to kind of understand why that even happened. Yeah, from what I understand, Jacob was on his way to go and meet with Esau, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much detail we want to get into. Like, you want to talk about fucking your brother over. Like, that is like, hey, I screwed my brother out of everything yeah and i think like that's the perfect place to start the story because you can't really talk about jacob without talking about esau so rewind a little bit just do like imagine the freeze frame and jacob's like you're probably wondering how i got here and then we cut back to his earlier days we learn in uh genesis 25 that Jacob and Esau are the twin sons of Isaac, who was himself the son of Abraham. So obviously we know Abraham is the patriarch, the the father of many nations, a very important figure uh, for Judaism and Christianity uh, and Islam, for that matter. But that's where it splits. Yeah, that we all kind of trace our stories back to Abraham. So uh, Isaac has twin sons. Esau is born first. He's the elder. And then Jacob is the younger twin, which like, if you know anything about twins, that is extremely important. Like which one is six minutes older than the other. And didn't it, um, if I remember right, wasn't it the story is that Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel as he was born? Yes. Uh, So he is given the name Jacob, which is, some play on words in the Hebrew that he came out uh, holding on to Esau's heel. Which is pretty fitting if we're talking about wrestling because a heel is like a, a bad guy is what they refer to it. So Ooh, Jacob is... I like the connection. Jacob is a heel. He absolutely is. So great. I love him. Anyway, and as the twins grow up, they kind of each gravitate towards one of the parents. So Esau is 
his father's favorite. Um, he's like outdoorsy. He's a hunter. He's like, you get the sense that he's kind of like a big burly guy, especially some of the details we get later. Whereas Jacob is more of the introvert. Like he's closer to his mother. He's a quiet man. He stays in more. So you kind of have this like jock nerd dichotomy going on. And it says that Isaac loved Esau, uh, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So they kind of each had favorites. In Genesis, uh, the end of Genesis 25, Jacob purchases slash swindles Esau's birthright for a bowl of lentils uh, because Esau comes in uh, and is starving hungry and says, give me give me that stew that you're cooking. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. And Esau says, what use is a birthright to me? I'm starving. So he agrees. He says, okay, I'll sell you my birthright uh, for a bowl of stew. Which, you know, is I just assume this as, you know, having brothers like, hey, um, yeah, I'll do this for you, but you have to like give me your car or you have to give me like a hundred bucks. Like, obviously that's not real. Like you don't, mm -hmm. but Jacob then like took it to another level. Yeah. And it's also like the way that it's described uh, in Genesis is that it says Esau despised his birthright. So there does seem to be this sense that even if Esau thought this wasn't serious, he's still gambling with something that he shouldn't be gambling with, right? Like you shouldn't mess around with something of that level of importance. It's also unclear to me, like, Esau says he is going to die. Like, he's so hungry he's going to die. And it's hard it's hard for me to tell if he was actually genuinely that hungry, in which case, wow, Jacob is, like, fully blackmailing him at a point of starvation. Or if Esau is being sort of overdramatic, in which case that makes Esau look a lot worse. But so it's kind of hard to say. Um, you said earlier, Jacob was like the more indoorsy kid while Esau was, hey, I got to work in the fields. I got to tend to the livestock. Like, you know, there is nothing that makes you more hungry than like just being out, doing all the farm work and then coming back at the end of the day. Like, I'm so goddamn hungry right now. But you don't want to eat that much during lunch, which mm -hmm. that's a whole nother story that I can get into that farmer that when I worked baling hay and stuff like you'd eat a huge lunch and then it'd be like miserable the rest of the day. But you're you're so hungry because you've done nothing. You've been like up and going all day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the first like we have that they sort of came out of the womb already in conflict. And then you have this incident with the birthright. And then uh, we kind of skip ahead in the story. Uh, so we skip down in the story to Genesis 27. And Isaac is very old. He is kind of at the end of his life now. He is blind or close to blind. Um, and so he calls for Esau, who is his firstborn son. And, you know, you you kind of understand in this moment that this is going to sort of be Isaac is going to give his blessing to his eldest son. He is handing over sort of leadership of the family uh, because Isaac is coming to the end of his life. Uh, and so Esau goes into Isaac and Isaac says, um, go out in the field, take your quiver and your bow, hunt game for me, prepare me a meal, um, and then I'm going to give you this blessing before I die. So it's kind of like his, his last request of his son, whom he loves. Meanwhile, 
Isaac's wife, Rebecca, overhears this. And she is, it turns out, sort of a crafty person. And we're going to see that her her favored son, Jacob, really uh, is cut from the same cloth. Uh, but Rebecca hears this conversation. Esau goes out to hunt, as he's been instructed. And Rebecca goes to Jacob and says, here's the deal. You prepare a meal and pretend to be Esau so that your father will bless you instead of him. Which I feel like we just have to pause and like think about the family dynamics of this family. This is a messed up family system. You have the the parents like scheming against each other and the brothers being put in competition. Like it's not healthy. This is some Maury shit right here. <laughs> this week on Maury, he pretended to be me to get my father's blessing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I remember this story because, you know, we get taught this pretty, you get, you get pretty inundated with this story. Like, there was a lot more to it than just, hey, you know, go pretend to be, like, they did costumes, they did all this, like, extra effort. So this wasn't, like, a spur-of-the-moment decision. Like, Rebecca knew what she was doing. Yeah, this took some, this took some planning. Yeah, and at least for this incident, Rebecca is the mastermind. Um, and Jacob says, Esau is so hairy, though. So even though Isaac is blind, if he touches me, he's going to know I'm not Esau because apparently Esau was just like a Sasquatch of a person. Uh, and so they solve that problem, too. They're like, OK, we're going to put some like animal skins on you. So you have like goat hair and then the, then you're going to be able to pass for Esau, which is hilarious. Which works. It, it works. Which is this crazy part. Yeah. Like that. Like, hey, we're going to put animal skins on you and that's going to make it real. Like, wait. You wouldn't be like, wait, that's a lot of fur you have yeah, on you. Yeah, Apparently Esau was very hairy. Just a, just a wild plan. So Jacob fully goes along with this. Other than the thing about, you know, I'm not as hairy as Esau, Isaac's going to know. Jacob apparently has no, like, moral qualms about this plan. So he disguises himself. He prepares this food. He goes into his blind, dying father. And he says, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Uh, please bless me. And Isaac's like, wow, you came back so quickly. And Jacob's like, God granted me success in my hunting. And Isaac's like, what big ears you have. <laughs> That's a different story. And so Isaac like almost figures it out. Um, Isaac's like, the voice sounds like Jacob, but the hairiness of the hands feels like Esau, which again hilarious uh this is not i'm not trying to diss anybody who like is a hairy person there's nothing wrong with that uh but the sort of level of absurdity of this story is the part i find funny right goat skins or whatever yeah. worked to convince him that no oh, that's your arms yeah yeah so he he gives the blessing isaac gives the blessing to jacob instead of esau and this is kind of an interesting thing because it's like, you know, we don't we don't think of a, a blessing as being sort of a zero sum game. Like Esau comes back and is like, well, where's my blessing? And it's like, couldn't Isaac have just blessed both of them? But there is there's something sort of um, there's like a ritual here of the father blessing the son and this being really a, a one and done kind of moment uh, that Esau 
doesn't get something because Jacob received it first. It's kind of like a verbal contract, like, and there is no way to go back on it. Like, once you grant it to whoever it is, like, that's, it's there. Like, you can't. Yeah. I mean, mentally, they can't, like, just be like, oh, well, that didn't count because I'm the firstborn. Like, it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of binding. Yeah, and and Isaac has brought God into that verbal contract, or you know, we could even talk about it in terms of a covenant, um, because Isaac says, like, may God give you these good things, and also may you Lord, may you be Lord over your brothers. So the the blessing itself is putting Jacob over Esau uh, because Jacob got this blessing. Esau comes back, he has this kind of heartbreaking conversation with Isaac, uh, and Isaac says, I blessed Jacob. Uh, I've made him lord over you and given him all his brothers as servants and the grain and wine and what can I do for you? And Esau says, have you only one blessing, father? Uh, And so Isaac gives Esau a a blessing that is is a little kind of tragic. Um, so the blessing that he does give to Esau is um, basically you're going to live rough. Your life is going to be not a life of abundance and ease. You're going to live by the sword and serve your brother. And that's kind of all Esau gets. How the hell is Jacob like the hero of this story? Like, how does it continue on with Jacob being like, oh, he's like the founder of all these nations. Like, he was kind of an asshole. No, there's no kind of. He was an asshole. Yeah. This is why I love the story of Jacob, because he is terrible. He is not a good person. Esau should beat his ass. Well, funny you should say that. So uh, this is in Genesis 27, uh, verse 41. It says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So like, yeah, Esau's pissed and we can understand why. So basically Esau says like, okay, Isaac's dying after this period of mourning. I'm going to fucking murder my brother. But again, Rebecca's listening in. And you you think about like examples that you see on Facebook or tiktok or reddit like where families are arguing over just like the basics of inheritance like hey i want this chair that belonged to my mom and it's just like can you imagine like jacob got everything and to do it in in such an underhanded way right so esau's like i'm gonna kill my brother and uh this this rumor gets back to rebecca and so rebecca uh because jacob is her favorite uh rebecca says jacob you gotta go Uh, Your brother's going to kill you. You have to leave town. And so go to my brother. Uh, His name is Laban. Basically, she says, like, go to my relatives. Get out from, like, Esau's orbit so that he can't murder you. And then just, like, hang out and wait until Esau calms down. And then I'll send you word and you can come back here. Uh, And then, you know have everything inherit everything and be lord over your brother uh so that's rebecca's plan what a weird like sibling dynamic like i know twins are kind of and back in the day like one would get everything and the other would probably get nothing but like just thinking of like my brothers and your relationship with your sister like can you 
I can't even like fathom the amount of disdain you must have held you they, right? they would have held for each other like to be able to do that and like when my sister and i were growing up we fought like crazy but it's in the way that kids do right and to to come into adulthood and it really comes across as like jacob just doesn't give a shit about esau he does not mm -hmm. care how he hurts esau he's just getting what's you know, going to help him. And Esau understandably despises Jacob for the way that he's behaving. So yeah, just like the animosity is terrible. Yeah. Continue on with that sibling relationship. Like, yeah, I can give my brother shit. No one else can. Nobody else. Yeah. It's got to be in mm -hmm. the family. So just, it's hard to fathom. It really is. Yeah. So um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I, I know we have like a lot of story to get through. But we do have to briefly talk about the ladder. Uh, this is now in Genesis 28. So Jacob leaves home. He's headed to his uncle's uh, and he stops somewhere for the night. And it's it's clearly like a wilderness, right? Like he's not staying at an inn. He doesn't have like a relative or even a stranger that he can uh, spend the night with because he literally just lies down in the open with a stone for a pillow. And then he has this dream that there's a ladder reaching from earth up to heaven. And he sees the angels of God going up and down the ladder. And he hears God say, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And this is a pretty important moment. Um, as far as we see in the, the narrative of Genesis, this is the first time Jacob has a direct kind of encounter with God, right? Presumably, he knows the God of his father and the God of his grandfather. Abraham had several encounters with God. Um, Isaac obviously had a pretty pivotal moment where he was almost sacrificed. Uh, and then a ram was provided in his place, which, again, let's talk about complicated family dynamics. But this is really important, right? God comes to Jacob as Jacob is running for his life because of the shit that he pulled and God says, like, I am going to stay with you. So there's this almost like declaration of loyalty from God and God making this kind of covenantal promise to Jacob, which is very reminiscent of the promises that were made to Abraham, his grandfather. And this is going to be important, right? I mean, obviously it's important in like the history of the people of Israel, but I think it's also going to be important in Jacob's personal story. So when Jacob wakes up, he says, the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. And, and he sets up a sort of a place of worship, right? He erects a pillar and names the place Bethel, which means the house of God. You know, being in my thirties, just the th thought of sleeping on something other than like my basic pillow, like, my neck already hurts just trying to put myself in this story. Just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. You're like, no, thank you. <clears throat> 
Yeah, for sure. Jacob must have been young. Damn kids. <laughs> so Jacob has this incredible uh, dream experience, this encounter with God. He raises a, a stone and kind of marks the location as being a sacred place. And it's named Bethel. And Bethel then is like a major location in the the rest of the Bible. So part of it, too, is that kind of like narrative of how a place got its name. We're going to see that again uh, with the wrestling match. But here, House of God, Bethel, this is the place where Jacob uh, had the dream. He goes to his uncle. And I am going to try to skip over this pretty briefly. But basically, Jacob goes to his uncle Laban. He sees his cousin, Rachel, Marrying cousins wasn't viewed the same way that it is today. Um, in fact, it was probably more encouraged because there was kind of like a tribal attitude. So you would want to sort of marry within your tribe, generally speaking. So he sees Rachel. He's like, I'm going to marry that girl. She's beautiful. I love her. But Rachel is the younger sister. And in the same way that you had Esau and Jacob at odds. Rachel has an older sister named Leah. So Laban says, okay, Jacob, work for me for seven years, and then I will let you marry my daughter, Rachel, who you want to marry. Jacob's like, okay. So he works seven years. Comes time for the wedding night, and Laban pulls a switcheroo. So like, by the way, you're seeing a family vibe on uh, Rebecca's side of the family because Rebecca's sneaky and Laban is sneaky and Jacob is sneaky. Like they all come by it, uh, honestly, apparently. Crazy because this is like the lineage of our religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is the man who will bear the name Israel like he he gives his name to the whole people. And he's such a scumbag. That's why I love this story so much. He's terrible. Uh, and Laban is terrible, by the way. Because what Laban does is he gives Jacob the wrong sister. And it's like the wedding night. And Laban gives him Leah instead of Rachel. And then the next morning, he's like, you're not Rachel. And Laban's like, too bad. I guess you're married now. No, no quickie annulments in the book of Genesis. This makes me think like their their marriage. I don't know, obviously, the tradition back then, but, you know, the ve the bridal veil is like such a key thing that probably would have had to happen. And then it makes me think like, oh, that's why all the grooms always like lift the veil before the ceremony or during mm -hmm. the ceremony. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the tradition, right? That you would like lift the veil to be like, yes, this is the person I'm supposed to be marrying. Poor Leah. I feel bad for her. What a shitty family. Yeah, they're terrible. They're terrible. I love them. So then the next morning, Jacob goes to his uncle and he's like, what the hell? Why did you deceive me? And Laban is like, well, I, we don't do that among our people. We, we don't marry the younger daughter before the elder daughter. It's just not done. Which, like, maybe you could have mentioned seven years ago when Jacob first asked. But Laban is a tricky bastard. So Laban says, well, work for me for another seven years, and then you can also marry Rachel. Uh, because obviously, in this time and place, having multiple wives was totally normal. 
So <laughs> Jacob works another seven years and then he gets to marry Rachel. And in, I think, a parallel to Rebecca and Isaac each having their favorite child, and I think that kind of fueling the toxicity in the family dynamics, um, it says Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Which, like, I kind of get it. Like, this is the person that he wanted to marry in the first place, and he sort of got stuck with Leah against his will, but also then when you have a clear favorite, of course that's going to lead to more conflict. So now Jacob is married to both of them and he likes Rachel more. So like, how is Leah going to feel? Yeah, like she probably, you know, back then she didn't have a choice. It wasn't like, no, I don't want to marry him, dad. Like, no, it's, this is what you have to do and you can't tell him beforehand. You are forced into this knowing that he loves your sister. Like she is... She's the tragic story in this. Yeah. One of one of the tragic stories in this. One of one of the sort of victims of all of this. Um I I will note cuz I think this is, you know, important that uh Genesis 29:31 says when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rebecca was barren. So obviously we can criticize the idea that like bearing children is sort of the only value that women are given in this time and place. But I do think it's important that within that cultural context, like God sees Leah. God sees Leah and knows like you've been dealt a really shitty hand. So it's kind of presented as God is going to make this a little bit easier for Leah of okay, well, at least she's bearing children, right? So she doesn't have that kind of stigma of not being able to to bear sons, which is sort of her job, uh, according to this culture. And it wasn't just like a son. It was a ton of kids. Like Yeah, it's a lot of sons. It's a lot of sons. Um, so <laughs> her thoughts third son i believe is judah and we talked about judah when we talked about judah and tamar uh in the genealogy of jesus so just like a little connection there if you want to go back and listen to the genealogy episode judah who is one of jacob's many sons also gets bamboozled uh and ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law it's a whole thing meanwhile the sisters are like in competition with each other. Leah's bearing children. Rachel is not. Rachel sort of prays and, and asks for uh, the chance to have children. So also, meanwhile, both of these women give their maids to Jacob to bear children. This is part of, again, the kind of culture of this time and place. We saw it also in the story of Abraham, uh, that if the the husband or the patriarch impregnated a female servant that that child could kind of stand in as actually being offspring of the wife. So if you're in this position of being the maid, uh, which is uh, for Abraham, it's Hagar. And at some point we should talk about Hagar and Sarah and like, that's also a very interesting story. But basically, Jacob is now producing children with four women because he's married to Leah and Rachel and both of their maids are all producing offspring for him. Again, very different culture, 
but this is how it worked. He ends up with 12 sons. And if you, like me, were a big fan of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you will remember the song that's just all the brothers. But he only had 11 when the wrestling match took place. True, true. Because uh, Benjamin, who's the youngest, uh, comes along later. We also know uh, that Jacob had at least one daughter. Uh, He has one daughter who is named... We just have to assume, just based on kind of human genetics, that he had more than one because the odds of having 12 sons and one daughter are, like, pretty slim. But we know for sure he had at least one daughter. Yeah. Uh, As we've discussed earlier, females in that time, not necessarily respected, which still kind of the case nowadays so you know patriarchy bullshit but whatever i will also just mention on the subject of like playing favorites and how that is a recurring theme in this family tree once rachel finally is able to get pregnant her son is joseph and because jacob loved rachel more joseph becomes his favorite which then leads into the next generation of like sibling rivalry and toxicity uh, so that's like a recurring issue. This family needs to go to counseling. Right? Where are the licensed marriage and family therapists in ancient, uh, the ancient Near East? Where were they? Not doing their goddamn job, that's for sure. <laughs> there is another incident, encounter uh, between Laban and Jacob, which again, I find super funny. Uh, so we know... We've already seen Rebecca is a schemer, Jacob is a schemer, Laban is a schemer, and Laban and Jacob are really, like, they have each met their match in the other. So Laban pulls this switcheroo with his daughters and makes Jacob work twice as long and end up marrying both of them. But Jacob is now going to get his sort of payback because Jacob says, listen, let's let's make a bargain. Um... I've worked for you for 14 years. It's time for me to go off and kind of start my own thing. But I'm going to need a little, basically like seed capital, uh, which in this case takes the form of livestock. Uh, so he says, I, I just need to have, you know, something to get me started. And Laban says, well, what am I supposed to give you? And Jacob says, I'm going to go through the flock and I'm just going to pick out the uh the spotted and speckled and sort of imperfect livestock uh and those will be the ones that I'll take so he kind of sets up this this agreement that he's only going to take the ones that are are sort of off color right they're not as good they're not as perfect looking the literally the black sheep of the flock and laban agrees and then Laban tries to trick Jacob by hiding all of those like black and speckled and mottled animals. Meanwhile, Jacob pulls a con that is fucking hilarious because he puts out like like dowels, like rods of uh, wood so that they cast shadows on the flock. And because the animals are in shadow, then their offspring are mottled. Which is not how anything works. I mean, tell tell me if I'm wrong, Josh, because I you are more closely connected to an agricultural lifestyle than I am. But when it says, 
when the animals bred in front of the rods, they produced young that were striped, speckled, and spotted. Is that, in your experience, how animal husbandry works? Um, you know, it's it's been a day or two, but um, all I remember is my time when I worked in the dairy farm was the long rubber glove. <laughs> so I don't know, but my basic understanding, it's not quite how it works. But... Through God, all things are possible. Uh, which I think is basically how we have to take this, because it makes no sense scientifically. Jacob's like, I'm going to make all these animals breed in, like, spotty shade, and then all the animals, all the offspring are going to be spotty. Like, that's that's nothing. So what happens then is that the, the offspring of the flock is way, way more mottled and speckled and striped than it should have been. And so Jacob gets a much bigger take uh, than Laban had expected him to. So it's it's kind of like Jacob is is playing with weighted dice, right? He's like, well, you know, I'll just take this this portion, but he's rigged the game so that he ends up taking way more. Uh, because he is a scheming, lying trickster. Which, you know, it makes me think, like, let's face it, Jacob was probably in that flock consistently. Like, to me, it seems like the rods is just, like, a metaphor for, like, hey, he took these certain animals and bred them with this certain animal so that it could give you this coloration that was needed for him to be like, well, that's mine. Interesting. I like that theory. I mean, the text does say it's because of the, the rods and the shadows, but I like your version. I mean, that, that would make sense. Like, that is the most logical path, in my it opinion. It is a much more reasonable explanation, for sure. I was never a science major. Fair. Fair, fair. Meanwhile, so Laban is pissed because Jacob has bamboozled him. Laban has sons, too. And so Jacob is not only cheating Laban out of this livestock, he's also taking away from Laban's sons the livestock that they would have inherited. So basically all the men of Laban's family are pissed. Jacob pulls a very similar move. He cheated his brother, and then when his brother got pissed and wanted to kill him, he left. And then he cheated his father-in-law. And when he has kind of run out of goodwill uh, there with Laban, the Lord says to Jacob, return to the land of your ancestors and to your kindred. Like, hey, it's time to get the hell out of Dodge uh, because you have burned too many bridges here. How many people can you piss off? Like, how many family members can you piss off? <laughs> A lot, apparently, if you're Jacob. Uh, he's, he's just trash. And also the, you know, the father of Israel. It's great. Jacob goes to Rachel and Leah and he's like, I have worked so hard for your father and I, he agreed to give me the speckled and spotted animals and now he's mad about it and he isn't he treating me so unfairly? But anyway, let's go back to the land of my family. So they pick up and leave as a family. Um, Jacob... His wives, the maids, all the children, all the livestock, all the property uh, that he's gained uh, to go back to uh, his homeland. There's also a weird little incident in Genesis 31 that says that Rachel, when they left, 
stole her father's household gods. So the the idea here is that these would have been some sort of like idols, right? Like physical objects uh, that were venerated within the household. And Rachel steals them when she leaves. Unclear why. Maybe she also has it out for her dad. But Laban, when he realizes that these household gods have been stolen, he pursues them and catches up with them. And uh, Jacob's like, I don't know anything about that. And uh, Laban's like, fuck you. I know that you're a tricky guy. I'm going to go through all your saddlebags and find my household gods. Uh, And so he does. He goes through all the saddlebags. He goes through all the tents. And then he goes to Rachel's tent. And Rachel is sitting on top of one of the the camel saddlebags. And Laban is looking for these household gods and can't find them. And Rachel says, oh, I'm so sorry, father. I can't possibly get up because I'm having my women's time. I'm on my monthlies. Um, It is shark week. And so I just can't possibly get up off this saddlebag where the household gods are being stored. Such a weird incident. I think one part of it is that I think it's almost kind of foreshadowing what um, Joseph is going to do at the end of Genesis, where he like plants something in his brother's uh, possession so that he can like play this game with them. It's weird. It's really weird. I don't know why Rachel did this, but there is definitely also a level of mocking this idea of household gods and idols and like why would you worship something that is made by human hands right which obviously is pretty important in Judaism that you do not make graven images and so there is also kind of like a it's almost like scatological humor right of like Laban is trying to find his missing gods and meanwhile a menstruating lady is sitting on them Like, how humiliating. If these gods were real, like, they would never. Um, So it's a weird, it's a weird little moment. Yeah. I guess I always, like, I guess in the way I was kind of led, like, hey, she did this to, you know, try to save her father. Like, hey, we're taking away this to show you that there's only one god. And yeah, looking back at it now from a more, I don't want to say jaded point of view, but a more curmudgeoned point of view. (laughs) Kind of a dick move. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of comes across that in in the strong family tradition, Rachel is like, I'm going to screw over my relatives. I'm going to play a trick on them, which is weird. But anyway, because Laban can't find the household gods, because he's looked everywhere except this one bag that Rachel is sitting on, then Jacob's like, how dare you? You falsely accused us. We didn't take anything, blah, blah, blah. And he, he yells at him. And Laban is sort of forced to to go home with his tail between his legs of like, well, I guess I was wrong and you didn't steal from me. And they sort of make this agreement where they're like, okay, we're going to we're going to draw a line down the center of the room and you stay on your side and I'll stay on my side. They're like, we're going to make this boundary and like not fuck with each other anymore, which is kind of funny. All right. We are all all caught up on the story of how Jacob got here. Uh, We are also 49 minutes into recording. Oh, is that all? That's nothing. 
to edit. So I'm kind of thinking, Josh, we might actually want to make this a two-parter. What do you think? I'm good with that. Um, just from logistics point of view, that's this is a intense episode. So yeah, it turns out I have a lot to say about Jacob. I mean, I knew I did, but like even more than I thought I did. And I have more comments since I've been liquored up fully. <laughs> this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I think we're going to record part two now, but then you all will have to wait to hear it. So, haha. Sucks to be you. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Irreverent Bible Talk. We will continue our discussion in the next episode. So this match is going to have to take a quick commercial break. And stay tuned, folks. You don't want to miss what's happening next on God vs. Jacob. Ultimate cage match. Thanks for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.